Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bonnie D. in the house with a very interesting panel and a topic I don't think we've ever covered in 108 shows on this series, which launched in 2019. We're talking about cryptocurrency. I like to say, what's in your wallet? No, I'm not cloning somebody else's commercial, but the title of this topic is The Future of Cryptocurrency in Retail. That's right, something you buy somewhere. Okay, pay now but pay how. So let me share three buzz quotes with you before I have my four esteemed panelists introduce themselves. First up is a quote from, this is interesting, it's a website called daviescoin.io and it's a blog and here's the quote. Since the creation of Bitcoin, hundreds and hundreds of crypto assets are gradually finding their place in society. Many companies are already accepting virtual currencies as a form of payment. They mentioned KFC, you know what that is, Munch, munch, crunch, crunch, and Subway. Others have considered creating their own cryptocurrency, such as Amazon. So let that sink in. Buzz quote number two is from Forbes, a very esteemed news site. Once a hard-to-grasp concept, cryptocurrencies are experiencing their arrival, and it's in quotes, gaining both consumer familiarity and retail acceptance. More than three in ten Americans describe cryptocurrencies as the future of money, according to a recent National Harris Poll. Nearly 28% of millennials, there's that M word popping up. I thought we didn't talk about them anymore because they're everywhere and they're so mainstream. More than nearly 28% of millennials own or have owned some form of cryptocurrency. Interesting. In response, a growing number of retailers are now accepting the currencies. And buzz number three, this is just for fun. Belgian milk chocolate bitcoins imprinted with the rallying cry of the rise of Bitcoin, virus in numeris, translated to the dual meaning strength in numbers. Order your custom chocolate Bitcoins today and be the coolest kid on the blockchain. I saw that and I couldn't resist. So we're going to ask four experts on this topic. Wave when I introduce you, please, because we are live streaming Darren Hunter at Rising. Darren, there he is. Welcome. Pradhu Dave Konana at Robert H. Smith School of Business, University of Maryland. Hope everything's good at you, Maryland. Nice to see you. Brian Cedarborg at Rising. Brian's been on a couple of other shows with me recently, and we credit Brian with bringing the topic to me. And we also have Jimmy Kilpatrick at Amazon. Jimmy, I mentioned the name of your company in the intro there. We might want to talk about that. We're going to ask them for their take on the future of cryptocurrency and retail. Pay now. Pay how? I'm not sure. I still have something called green in my wallet. So welcome, 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 and hello to our live stream audiences on Facebook and LinkedIn. And we have a shout out also to several people from the marketing contingencies at the company called Rising, R-I-Z-I-N-G. Hello to Anka and hello to Mike and hello to Sherry. And we'll talk about them a little bit later. So let's get going. Darren Hunter, you're up first. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself? And also, Darren, why are you here? What's your passion for the topic? Go ahead. Welcome, yeah, Darren. Thanks. Um, thanks for having me. So uh, at Rising, I'm a uh, vice president of consulting. Most of the interesting things I get to work on in the innovation space and, and 
um, blockchain and some of those topics are, are in that space, uh, AI and, and all the kind of bleeding edge technologies that uh, we get to work with. Um, for me, the um, cryptocurrency, obviously I have a, a, an interest, you know, from a investment point of view and that type of thing. But for me, really, it's not only the currency, it's the underlying technology around blockchain that's really interesting for me. Um, currencies are obviously front and center of that use of that technology, but I think there's other uses as well. And I just love talking about the topic. I think there's so many interesting future kind of things that are important. And uh, so I'm happy to be here and kind of go through this for the next little bit. Thank you. And we're going to be very interested in your predictions, Darren Hunter. So thank you for taking the time to join us today. Let's go to our second guest, Prahu Dave Konana at University of Maryland. Prahu Dave, welcome. Happy to have an academic on the panel always. So why are you here? And tell us a little bit about your interest in the topic. Go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie, and I'm very glad to be here. Uh, I'm, as an academic, I'm very interested in disruptive innovations. And we know that cryptocurrency, the underlying technology, blockchain, AI, is going to revolutionize the finance domain entirely. There's no doubt about it. What, passion, what my passion is when the cryptocurrency started, uh, you know, for a long time, even today it exists, you create a fake currency, you're arrested, right? Um, and here is cryptocurrency growing like crazy. And you wonder what is the underlying value. And always fascinates me. Wow, here it is. It's gone on to be a $2 trillion currency. And you can't really say what's the underlying value. So it got me excited as an academic person. But the blockchain technology underneath is even more fascinating. right? So we, have, uh, Brian and I went to University of Texas at Austin before I came here. We had a conference. There was a very first building in our brand new building. 320 people in the auditorium, it was sold out. We had companies like Ripple and 50 plus C-level people sitting there in front. Very curious to know what is this? What is this supposed to transform the way we do business, the way we transact? That's how got me excited, but I still love the underlying technology blockchain. There's so much debate. Is it transformative or is it just another buzz fad? And that's how I got interested in this area. Well, thank you very much. And we're looking forward to your predictions as well from the academic side and from the I'm curious what's going on side also. I think we all still are. So we're going to learn a lot from all of you. Let's go to Brian Cedarborg. Brian, happy to see you again. You're on a show with me recently. I know you're very busy, so I'm very honored that you took the time to join us today. Brian, there might be, I'm guessing, 11.3 people in the world who don't remember you from the last time you were on a show with me. So talk to those 11.3 and just remind them who you are, but add what's your passion for this topic, which is new for us. Go ahead, Brian. Sure. Thank you. And thanks, thanks again for, for having me on the show, Bonnie. Uh, very appreciative. So Brian Cedarborg, I'm, uh, I lead the, I I the go-to-market team at Rising is the best way to think of me. So I, I really spend most of my time in front of my customers. Um, so when we, we at Rising, as you, know, uh, as you remember, as, as others might remember, we, we really support the consumer industries, so particularly retail. I mean, we have a very strong presence in retail. So I spend a lot of my time in front of retailers. Uh, used to be in person, a lot, a lot of it's remote these days. So, um, so I'm, I'm, and that kind of relates to my passion. My passion is really more in the business application of things. Uh, since I spend my time in the market, since I spend my time with our customers and I, I spend my time um, you know, in the retail industry, just seeing you know, really all aspects of retail are very, very um, 
you know, are very, very important, very interesting for me. I mean, I've, it's, you, you might remember from last time, I mean, I grew up a retailer. I've been actually in the retail industry for, for 34 years, uh, 17 on the industry side and now 17 in, in consulting. So I'm a bit of a, a bit of a retail junkie, sort of kind of all, all things, uh, how it touches, you know, how it touches that industry. Uh, and, and crypto is certainly there. And we have a lot of our customers that are, that are asking about it. They're asking, you know, you know, what should they be doing? How should they be thinking about this? So I get, I get asked this, oh, probably every other week, I would say at this point right now. So, uh, so my passion comes from, from that aspect of it. Thank you. I thought you were a millennial and you just said that you spent 34 years in retail, Brian. Don't answer that. I, I said to myself, I'm doing the math. That's not possible. So we'll just leave that one alone. You can- it's my skincare regimen. <laughs> I, I want to know what it is, but I'm an early woman in tech from, from before yeah. you were born probably. So we'll have to swap skincare care regimens. We will do that. Jimmy Kilpatrick, we're so happy to have you and appreciate your being here from Amazon. I'm going to put you up on speaker view. Please talk to us. Who are you? What do you do in Amazon? And what's your passion for the topic? Jimmy, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. And thanks for having me. Um, my name's Jimmy. I am a senior product manager at Amazon. I work kind of at the crossroads of, of customer experience and security. Um, so a lot of my job de deals with helping customers um, basically stay secure and how we reduce the amount of effort they have to go through in order to have the same level of security. So basically taking the burden off of our customers and putting onto ourselves to help them keep their accounts protected. And so a lot of that deals with usability. Um, and there's an interesting cross sort of crossover there between that and Bitcoin and blockchain technologies and digital currencies, because um, I first started, uh, I discovered Bitcoin, I think in 2010 or 2011. Um, and I installed, I downloaded a you know, program and ran it on my computer. I thought maybe I, Maybe I'm going to get malware from this, but let's see what it does. And I watched a little number go up and forgot about it. Uh, and then fast forward, you know, five years, six years later, and I said, oh, those, those little uh, digital uh, pennies are now worth a lot more money. Wow, this is crazy. Um, and so that's my personal foundation with a lot of this stuff. The, uh, I actually have been for a long time a naysayer in a lot of these digital technologies. Um, and part of my... Um, negative perspective came from the usability and complexity that is exposed to the end user. Um, Bitcoin was created by and adopted by people who had a very heavy tech background who were willing to deal with um, a lot of the sort of uh, friction involved in, in adopting the digital currency and using it for day-to-day -day use. And what I'm seeing now is um, the companies that are most successful are, uh, you know, putting a layer of usability over that. And I really enjoy seeing that. So I'm actually, I've changed from negative to positive after seeing this kind of growth. And so that's what I'm passionate about it is um, seeing an opportunity where before I did not see one. Interesting. It's nice to see those pennies accrue and get value, isn't it, Jimmy? One day I said, what? I got money? Seriously? Before we get to the opening quotes, I've asked you all to, and you've all been very gracious about sending me movie and TV character and song quotes. I have a question for all of you. I'm coming at this completely from a sideline, side from a standing on the edge of the pool, not sure I want to dip my toe in the water. How would I use a Bitcoin, a crypto, if I wanted to, uh, any major retailer, uh, let me just go around the table. Um, let's start with Darren. If I walked up to a store, uh, it used to be a big store that starts with M and Y apostrophe S at the end. You know, I come from New York and they're everywhere. I walked in, I want to buy that dress. What would I say? Hey, would you take Bitcoin from me? How would I do it? Darren? 
unmute, please. Darren, you're mute. Darren, you're yeah, mute. There you go. Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of analogous, analogous to having a wallet. So you need to have a wallet. Back in the old days, you used to have this big, huge George Costanza wallets and carry those around. <laughs> no longer is um, So you need a digital wallet effectively that tracks how much money you have and you're able to communicate that to the, in this case, to the retailer. So if the fancy dress that you want to buy or shoes, you have to have kind of a digital wallet and, and be able to communicate or transfer that money. It's a little bit more sophisticated than that, but that's where the starting point is, is that people will hopefully be able to have access to either on their phones or some other device that has what their digital wallet is and they're able to communicate similar to Apple Pay or anything like that, that you, so that people are familiar with. That's the point where, to Jimmy's point earlier, it has to be easy for people, right? Mm -hmm. You have to get rid of the friction and friction is a technology term that we use for how quickly people can start using a technology. If it's, if it's high friction, it means it's hard to use. If it's low friction, it means it's easy to use. And so that's where you got to get to. You got to be able to have people walking off the street, being able to give that, that, that currency to somebody and be somebody be able to easily accept it. And I don't think we're there yet, but that's, that's the end state. Thank you. And I have a, anybody else want to add anything to that? Because my next question, all of you, I know we weren't planning to do this, but I have to level set because I'm curious. Question is, is there a currency exchange rate? Because if you travel, I remember traveling to Europe back in the day when I was a teen and my parents treated me to a European tour one summer and I lived in Switzerland for a month. I had to know what was the U.S. dollar worth in Neuchatel, Switzerland, what was it worth when I went to Copenhagen to buy a Heineken beer at Tivoli, Tivoli Gardens? What, what was my money going to do for me? Is there an exchange rate? Is there a currency listing of what it's worth? Pradev, you're nodding. You want to take that one? Yeah, I mean, the information about the price is public. I mean, you can get that information when you, when you exchange it. Assume that I bought it now. What is the value one hour later? I don't know, right? It can be up or down. And that's what makes it harder to use it in uh, transactions because uh, there are some people who are buying it, uh, like retailers are accepting it, uh, assuming that it will go up in value. If it goes down, then you are in trouble, right? And yeah. that's the uncertainty you bring in. So, yes, you can get the actual price information at any time you want. The question is what happens one hour later? And then the question is, what if I return it? Brian, we all know they'll re you're a retailer. You know the sequence. What is the most popular department in many brick-and-mortar retailers? Uh, December 26th, 27th is the return and exchange desk, right? I'm bringing it back. I don't like the tie. I had too many bread makers. I don't want the toaster. The shoes don't fit. The scarf is ugly. So when you return it, what if the Bitcoin that you paid for it or that somebody paid for it is worth less than when you paid for it. What happens to that exchange? Is there, Brian, is there a, a fair back to the number of Bitcoins you paid when you bought it? Well, back to your kind of your original question, because I'll answer your question by kind of going back to your first question, which was yep. what, do I, what do I do if I go to my, you know, my favorite department store retailer, which you, which you, you mentioned, mm -hmm. and want to pay on that Bitcoin? The simple answer is you don't. Uh, you got to go and you got a little, you know, Darren referenced his wallet. You got your Bitcoin sitting in your wallet. The first step is, change it to cash. That's the first step is, and then you pay with cash. That's what, that's what happens today. So that friction that Darren talked about, it's, 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 there's a lot of friction in the payment processing side of things, which we could talk more about. But today, most retailers uh, don't accept uh, crypto directly. You're, you know, the, the medium is cash. So what are you going to get your refund in? You're going to get your refund in, you know, in cash or credit or debit, whatever. 
Thank you. Interesting. Jimmy, you want to add anything? And I, I, in my quote from one of the articles when I opened the show, I said that companies like Amazon are creating their own cryptocurrency. Anything you can add that's not proprietary, Jimmy? Um, I can't add anything about what Amazon is doing, um, but I will say that it's it, there's a fundamental shift that will have to happen. We have to, right today in the U.S., we think denominated in dollars. And so at some point in the future, mm-hmm. we will only, so if I buy a tie that my fiance tells me really ugly and I got to take it back and return it, I'm going to get dollars back. Whether I paid in Bitcoin or not, my transaction was denominated in dollars. At some point in the future, if this were to happen, um, I would get Bitcoin back and I would get the same number of Bitcoin back that I paid for it. I don't think it's going to be Bitcoin, but that's a separate topic. But until that shift happens, this will be a point of friction because customers will say, oh, I paid in this many, I paid, you know, one Bitcoin and then five days later, now this price of Bitcoin has exploded. I want to go get that one Bitcoin back. And that's not going to happen. Macy's yeah. is not going to be sort of a currency exchange market mediated by bad neckties. So, um, <laughs> Anybody who's watching, mark down at 18 after 11 a.m. East Coast time. Jimmy Jimmy equated the, the bad necktie exchange of the Bitcoin raid at a retailer. That's interesting. I'm going to move on. Anybody have anything else they want to add? Are we, are we good with that? And thank you, yeah. Wolf. Go ahead, Prof. Well, I just want to add, yeah. uh, one of my students created a Konana coin in a class project, and he could even trade it. It's that easy to generate any of these coins. So any company with the power can create one. So Amazon can create it one. It's not very hard. I mean, these are, uh, you know, open source code that you can get to generate a lot of these things. It's a very simple technology if you know it. If you don't know it, everything is a mystery. Interesting. When I was, uh, I, I have a couple of degrees in computer programming and operations from back in the day before some of you, I think, were born. And uh, one of our exercises in learning different languages, COBOL and PL1 and Fortran and assembler languages, was to create a compiler with a fake language. And they teamed us up with three or four people into groups in the class. And they said, just take any language nonsense words and create your own computer language in your own compiler and make it work. And it was an interesting collaborative. This was before we used the word brainstorming and competition and and collaboration before that was a big fancy buzzword in corporate. It was just a, yeah, just a place to learn. And we did it. And it was fascinating that it's like making up something, your own language. And we did. Very, very interesting project. Anyway, let's move on. Darren Hunter, you're up first. You sent me a quote from a song called Feel Like a Number by Bob Seger, dating back to 1978, first received, released on the album Stranger in Town with Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. And here's the quote. This is interesting. To workers, I'm just another drone. To Ma Bell, I'm just another phone. I'm just another statistic on a sheet. To teachers, I'm just another child. To IRS, I'm just another file. Darren, translate this to our topic. What does this have to do? Go ahead. Well, obviously the just numbers and that's really what the currency is, uh, is looking at, right? Bunch of, a bunch of things uh, stringed together. For me, it's more about, it's a little bit ironic in that Seer was talking about his uh, unapproval of, of, of modern society and, and the lack of individuality and that all the worker bees and, and drones and all that type of thing. And the, one of the early kind of calling cards for crypto was that you had this decentralized, non-government managed kind of method to transact financial, financially. Um, I think the ironic part is that I, 
and we can touch on this later in one of my predictions is I don't believe that you're going to get a lot of adoption until there is some sort of um, oversight, whether that's a single government or groups of government. There, I think that people, for the most part, are going to be reluctant to use it because it's kind of a wild west. Um, the, the exchange rates are all over the place. There's no real sort of person I can hold up and, and, and it's famous in our company to say one throat to choke. If I have a problem, I want to be able to go to one place to complain about it. And in this case, that's not necessarily the, 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 the case. So I think, um, I think from my point of view, it's a, it's a, it's a song that kind of is, it has a little bit of irony for that. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That's a new one from my show. No one's picked that before. And we always love to have interesting song quotes. Let's go to Praho Dave's quote. He's picked one from the Abbey Road album, 1969, by the Beatles, of course. And the song is You Never, Never Give Me Your Money by the English rock band, The Beatles. We all know that. Written by Paul McCartney, though it was credited to Lennon-McCartney, the partnership. And he wrote it when he was staying with his wife, Linda, in New York shortly before their wedding. So his wife-to-be, the song documented the financial and personal difficulties facing the Beatles. Interesting. People might not remember that phase. Here's the quote. You never give me your money. You only give me your funny paper. Wow, Prado Dave, how'd you find this one? Go ahead. Hi. Well, Bonnie, that was, you asked me, you made me think a lot about it, right? How do I pick something that had money and something funny paper? And I remember from my college days back in 1970s, I was not a big listener of music, but this one, it was lingering on what does that mean? And there was no internet in those days to check what does that mean? I didn't even know the story behind it. But that it was the bit there in the back of my mind, money and funny paper, right? So suddenly when you asked me, hey, pick a song or a chord, I said, whoa, let me go check what that song is about. And I said, perfect. You never give me your money, only give you a funny paper. And this is when the Beatles had their business manager who passed away in 67. Yeah. They had financial trouble and they wanted some money. And the, the new person would say, hey, there is value, but they would never get the money, right? So that's the origin of it. So here, think about it. You never give me your money. You only give you your funny bits. That's your Bitcoin or whatever the cryptocurrency is. There is underlying supposedly a value, but you don't know what the value is. So exactly what Beatles faced back in 1969, right? And, it, uh, and today, we have no idea what provides the value for most cryptocurrencies. We don't know whether it's an underlying tangible or intangible assets. You don't know whether it's backed by any basket of currency or bonds. Uh, one can even argue that the ridiculous, the most ridiculous NFT, the non-fungible tokens you can think of, has something underlying asset, a, a video or some trading card or something. But a cryptocurrency, what is that? Right? It's just a very uh, bringing back Beatles song to life again. You give me your money, you only give you your funny bits. Thank you very much. Your funny paper that isn't paper anymore, right? <laughs> Thank you very much. Let's go to Brian Cedarborg. He's picked a quote from the song Tom Sawyer by Rush back in night. Boy, we got a lot of vintage here. 1981, Canadian rock band Rush. It originally released this song on their album Moving Pictures as its opener, and it was written by Getty Lee, their lead singer, bassist, and keyboardist, and he was referred to this track as the band's defining piece from the early 80s. It was also co-written by the late great drummer Neil Peart, who passed away recently, and guitarist Alice, Alex Lifeson, and with, with collaboration with other people. Here's the quote. He knows changes aren't permanent, but change is. Brian, this is a big, heavy quote here. Talk to me. How does it relate to our topic? Go ahead. 
<laughs> well, I mean, for one, I, I never hesitate to 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 bring Russia into the conversation if I can. It's it's partly an homage to Darren, who's our who's our Canadian here on the panel. But also, you said the you said the late great Neil Peart. I would add the the late greatest Neil Peart. I mean, I would say the greatest drummer that ever lived. So I always want to give homage to Neil Peart when I can. Yes. Uh, but uh, you know this this topic. I mean, it's about change. I mean, I, I think about there's another saying that we have to have in our business, which is which is change is never moved as fast as it is now, but it will never move as slow moving forward. So, and and that's no that that is. Uh, that's very uh, that's very appropriate for for this topic. I mean, th this topic's all about all about change. Change is uh, it's 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 been rapid, but it will be even more rapid. It's accelerating uh, the change in this particular topic here. So how how do you, you know, how do you predict it? We're going to get into some predictions. How do you how do you predict something that has accelerating change associated with it? That's decentralized. Um, that uh, there was a. You know, there was a, so uh, P Professor Kanan, as I referred to me, talked about our, our time at the uh, University of Texas at Austin together. It was like there was a there was a, a very wonderful class that was there, which was on uh, which was basically on chaos theory. It was ma a managing complexity uh, course by also a late, great uh, Professor McDaniel. Uh, he uh, and it's and it's how do you how do you <laughs> how do you manage something that's fundamentally unpredictable? Um and that's what this is. It's fundamentally unpredictable. So how do you, you know, when, you, when we're talking about billions, trillions of dollars that's getting you know, managed through, through this, through something that's fundamentally unpredictable. Uh, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating topic. So anyway, hence my quote. It is. Thank you very much. And I appreciate the quote. What I was trying to say was it's iconic. It's a, it's a real quote about our times. Who knew we would ever be here talking about what we are at any level of anything we've said so far in our in our human history. So let's move on. Jimmy Kilpatrick has sent a quote from a 1964. Boy, we're going back in time here, Jimmy. 1964 black comedy film directed by Stanley Kubrick. And the film was Dr. Strangelove or colon how I learned to stop wearing and love the bomb. And the character was played by Keenan Wynn, a wonderful character actor from way, way back. The character is Colonel Bat was his, oh, I hit my mic here. Colonel Bat was the, uh, the nickname Guano. We'll leave that one alone. And here's the quote. What? You don't think I go into combat with loose change in my pocket, do you? Oh, Jimmy, you got to unravel this for us. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Sure thing. Different kind of change than Brian's quote. Um, yep. In the scene, in the scene they're in, they need to make a phone call very urgently. And of course, um, 1964, there is a payphone, and they are trying to figure out how to get spare change in order to pay to put money in the payphone and make the call they need to make. Um, I won't spoil it, even though the movie's from 1964. I think anybody who hasn't seen it deserves to see it without any further information about it. But um, the whole point is that payments is both having the value in order to make the payment and having the payment value in a form that can be accepted as legal tender or as acceptable tender. And so it's very simple. There's not a lot of depth to it. Um, the literal problem is that the money that they have is not in a form where they can do something that would avert world crisis. It is simply the friction again is so great that they are unable to overcome it um, and make a phone call that would end up saving the world. So uh, I just felt like it's very, uh, it, it's a bit extreme, but I think that's that's a good example of the microcosm of um, some of the challenges we're dealing with, with cryptocurrencies and acceptance in the retail space. 
Thank you. And thank you all for the interesting quotes. I appreciate the research, especially Prahu Dave, who isn't used to doing this. And I, thank you for finding that Beatles quote. I appreciate it. Let's move on to predictions. I've already put a couple into the chat. Darren Hunter, we're going to start with you. I'll read your prediction number one. Take a couple minutes. If anybody on the panel wants to comment, agree or disagree, or anything you'd like to add to Darren's prediction, just Raise your hand and I will see you. That's the value of being here on Zoom with our cameras on. And I will call on you. Otherwise, I'm going to proceed to a prediction from Prahu Dave and then one from Brian and then one from Jimmy. And then we'll start round two after that. So here's the prediction from Darren Hunter. I believe the market will land on a few cryptocurrencies that will begin the quote unquote become the industry standard for everyday transactions. And that basket either doesn't exist today or is not yet mainstream. I'm going to stop there, Darren, and let you finish the rest of the prediction because it's long. Please go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, most people um, are still compensated in, in dollars or euros, what I would call a fiat currency. Um, and they don't want to be doing conversions into into a Bitcoin rate of, you know, 0. 0.000020 uh, Bitcoins to US dollars or something similar. So I think the the currency that we'll actually, and this gets back to the friction and all those other things that Jimmy was talking about earlier, we're we're going to need a a a, a method to exchange monies for for services or goods that doesn't require a lot of thinking. And exactly how much is that? The, the Bitcoin right now, the, it's very, um, uh, it's not a very stable exchange rate. It can explode day to day, hour to hour. And that's very hard for people to, to kind of keep track of to your point about going to Europe and knowing, hey, my ice cream just went up by 175%, <laughs> right? So those types of things I think are difficult. Um, and, and the last part of the prediction is there's gonna be some sort of management uh, of these cryptocurrencies by, by a government agency, whether that's a kind of, uh, you know, a, a United Nations kind of group where that can oversee this or whether it's it's uh, geographic like uh, North America and, and a Eurozone and those types of things. I just feel like you're going to need some sort of oversight uh, for for these um, for these cryptocurrencies. Thank you very much. Any comments from anybody? So, okay. Darren, your comments, I just want to ask about it. If there is a standard, mm -hmm. it already exists, which is the fiat currencies. Mm -hmm. So if you say want something very stable that you can exchange that we know, then why not create a dollar in digital currency with the numbers that are there on a on any um, node? There is already a number, so we can create a number and you exactly know how it is flowing anywhere. Why not do it? And why do you need some arbitrary cryptocurrency? Yeah, I I don't have the answer for that. So to me, like I whether you look at it, and I'm gonna um, talk about you know, a new political landscape. But, um, you know, in, I live in Canada. They've talked a lot about um, a, an organization that would include, um, uh, from a trading block, would include uh, Canada, Britain, New Zealand, and Australia. So there's a new trading block that potentially comes out. At that point in time, it would make sense to me that that organization would look at that, uh, exactly what you're talking about, creating a, instead of creating a, a trading block currency that's like the euro or something like that, instead of creating a digital currency that would make sense for that. I think as you see more organizations come together or more countries and, and trading blocks, Pacific trading block, whatever that is, that will be one of the considerations, I think. And that's why I said, I don't think the market, I don't think the, the basket of currencies currently exist, or if they do there, you know, it might be the one that's very uh, rarely looked at or used that might someone might adopt. 
Thank you. Thank you for the question, the comment as well. Pradadev, I've got you up next, and I'm looking at your prediction number one. You say cryptocurrency value is coming from hoarding and trading and not from underlying value, and it will unravel, which will limit the use of transactions for transactions. Pradev, unpack this for us, please. What are we talking yeah. about? So well, just like Jimmy, when he first mined it, he got some coin, and he just keep it. The value is going up right? Um, so Dogecoin is the same thing. It was created as a prank and it just started getting value from nowhere, right? Now, why is the value going up? Is because people are not using it for commercial transaction, not for buying. It's basically, there is a limited number of coins and more people are chasing it. The value keeps going up to buy. So people are buying it as like a, an asset, not as a currency, right? The currency cannot be this volatile. And if you just take uh, just yesterday alone, it dropped by 11%. And that, the question is, all this is coming from trading activities of the coin itself and not about uh, a sustained value. And that's why it is going to unravel because one regulation from some country or the US, one comment by SEC, one comment by any federal agency, and boom, the value goes down. And that's why... Um, most noble laureate whom I at least strongly believe have said the underlying value is zero. Unless, as some uh, Darren and others said, it is anchored to some fiat currency. Then the question comes, if you have anchoring into fiat currency, then why do you need an arbitrary cryptocurrency? So, you know, it, that you can start to look at the chain of thought and say, wow, why do you need it? That's where the argument comes. That's why it's going to unravel because of regulations, because of monetary policies, monetary control, um, and arbitrary inflation or deflation based on the value of cryptocurrency. That's why it's going to unravel. Thank you. That's interesting. We've heard that word maybe not exactly unravel, but similar when it started to be, be come, in, come into the news a couple of years ago when celebrities were making their own version, right? Their own style, yeah. their own naming, their own brand of Bitcoin and singers had it and record producers had it, and movie stars and everybody was on the bandwagon and people like me were saying, what, what? Seriously, fad, it's going away. What, what are we doing with this? Interesting. Let's go. Anybody have any comments on that before I move on? We good? Okay, Brian, I'm up to your prediction number one. You say cryptocurrency payment processing transaction will need to mature before wider retail adoption as tender. Let's talk about that processing. What is in the background on that? Brian. Yeah, I mean, the, the basic message, and it's related actually to what both Darren and Professor Kana was were talking about. I mean, the, the basic, you know, so the basic prediction is, is uh, companies are going to be very cautious, very slow, I, I believe, to uh, to adopt this as a as a mainstream form of tender in in, in the retail environment. Um, you know, in a, a bit, you know, there there's the speculative nature of the coin itself, the volatile nature of it itself that certainly plays into it. The fact that regulation is going to come in, and and companies, especially you know, obviously when it comes to financial instruments, financial investments, companies. Uh, predictability is, is important. So how do you how do you manage predictability in an unpredictable space? So I think all that certainly plays in, into into this space. But the other very practical component of it it's it's back to that friction that Darren talked about before. There's a lot of friction in the payment processing space, generally speaking. I mean, you you've got the you know the situations like the Dallas Mavericks taking you know <laughs> taking Dogecoin. Um, as you know, examples, you got you got there are more one-off type situations here, but most most retailers 
as we said, we talked about the department store example up front. They don't, uh, they can't take direct crypto uh, payment as tender. And the reason for that is uh, there's no real uh, payment processing framework that exists to be able to do this automatic exchange to where I can, you know, I mean, today it's, it's easy. I, I show up and I, you know, I, I, I buy my items, I bring them to the, bring them to the point of sale and I pay with my credit card. And, and behind all that, I mean, it may seem like magic to us. We just, you know, insert our credit card chip and, and lo and behold, we get a, we get a bill later and we, we pay it. But behind all that is a payment processing framework. There's companies like Fiserv, WorldPay, that basically make all that processing frictionless, um, and those and those retailers subscribe to those to those payment processors. That doesn't exist. That kind of framework doesn't really exist at all for for crypto whatsoever. There's going to be, have to be a whole entire infrastructure that's going to have to be built. It doesn't exist at all, and it's going to have to be done. You know, and coins are going to have to subscribe to that. Um, you know, very very. I mean, this this infrastructure exists has been built up over decades. So how, how does this start to happen? You know, before it starts to become any kind of mainstream tender, there's going to have to be major investment that's going to have to occur. So that's, that's, the, that's the essence of the prediction. Thank you very much. Any comments? I see a couple of heads nodding there. Pro Dave, anything you want to say? No, uh, Brian is right. I think the infrastructure has to be there. Individual retailers don't have the uh, bandwidth or the resources to be investing in this, right? Somebody else has to do it. Now, just to add to that uh, complexity is, if somebody loses uh, their ID or or some sort of authentication to access their coin, that is lost for good, mm. right? So, mm. so this is for like lo- there are a lot of people who have supposedly millionaires don't have the coins because either they lost their computer, they lost their password. Uh, so you have all types of complexities, right, uh, with this. So what if a retailer loses or somebody hacks it? That that's gone for good. Interesting. We love our war stories, don't we? I tried to do this. I was on the vanguard, the avant-garde. I was adopting this. And look what happened to me, or or look at how I survived this, or look at how I reclaimed this. Very interesting. Jimmy Kilpatrick, I'm looking at your prediction number two. You say financial institutions will increasingly offer transaction, transactional crypto accounts for retail customers. This could lead to reduced price volatility and enabling greater consumer and retailer confidence in crypto as a currency rather than as a vehicle for speculation. Then you add, and I love this phrase, this could lead to increased demand for ways to go full crypto. I think we know where that's coming from, including, I can see that printed on t-shirts and other uh, undergarments, including demand to be paid in cryptocurrency. Jimmy, unpack this prediction. This is fascinating. Go ahead. Sure. Um, Somewhat speculative, but I mean, the first part of the prediction, financial institutions offering crypto transactional accounts is already happening. Visa and MasterCard both have crypto denominated debit cards today that I can go into a coffee shop and purchase a coffee with crypto. Now, they handle the behind the scenes exchange of uh, crypto for cash. Um, And that actually has a downside in that it makes buying a coffee a taxable event due to capital gains or capital loss could be that. So there is regulatory friendliness that needs to happen here, but there's also currently legislation, at least in the US, uh, considering raising the cap on the capital gains reporting amount. Um, I believe that that trend will continue. I believe that these will be successful. um, And I believe that these will see increased consumer adoption, particularly with increased regulatory friendliness. If I have to file capital gains just for buying daily purchases, I don't think that's gonna fly for most consumers. 
but I believe that this will actually uh, contribute to some stabilization of cryptocurrency uh, and increased transactional usage of cryptocurrency by everyday people. Um, doing so would reduce the amount of <clears throat> uh, people who are hoarding cryptocurrency and increase the number of people who are using it to transact on a daily basis. And I believe that the financial regulatory or the financial um, uh, involvement, the financial institution involvement may actually solve some of the other issues that we see. Like today, if I lose my you know, private key for my crypto wallet, I could be out millions or billions of dollars with no way, no feasible way to get that back. Um, and instead, I imagine in the future, a scenario where, um, you know, something similar almost to the FDIC could come up or even the banks could maintain my crypto key in escrow. And I never have to worry about that. And the bank would take on the liability of making sure that I'm able to access my coins while I use their services to transact and they get some other benefit. Um, the part of my prediction that I believe is far, far more speculative is the demand to be full crypto. Um, mm -hmm. I see that potentially as a response to um, tax and capital gains, because if you never actually exchange your cryptocurrency for another currency, you never have a taxable event. But um, that would depend on a basically the most extreme version of this prediction coming true. So um, I'm less sure about that part, but I strongly believe that that these crypto denominated accounts will continue to grow in popularity and frequency. Interesting what you said about, I'm just going to call it the safety factor or the confidence factor, Jimmy, where a bank will hold your key in escrow and you won't run the risk of losing it or being hacked and having it taken away. Anybody have any comments on that? It seems very important to going forward to everyday people actually wanting to do this because who wants to risk millions or billions of crypto valued dollars? Uh, Pro Dave, anything? I see you nodding. Anything you want to say about no. that? See, the origin of cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. go back and look why it became popular, including the original blockchain technology itself, is to provide them sort of anonymity and privacy. Mm -hmm. uh, why should the government be controlling you? What, why, what rights do they have to see where I move the money? Now, that was the underlying uh, technology. Blockchain itself, the origin came in from, where things will work without having somebody central monitoring it. Now, what Jimmy is asking is that we give up those controls, right? So the underlying framework of the blockchain technology and Bitcoin itself now start to etch away. That's not the purpose. So um, we're going back to what the currency means. Why do countries have their own currency? It's because they want to have control, right? Uh, international money transfer, why everything is so regulated? Because they have to have control. So what Jimmy is saying that you have to, when we are talking about cryptocurrency in the future, we give up that. In fact, you will give up. If you don't give up, it's never going to be practical. We can go, that's, that's the origin. So uh, correct me here, Jimmy, that's what you're saying is there will be somebody monitoring, controlling, and observing what you do. As long as we accept as a, uh, as a framework, mm -hmm. yes, we're going to see greater adoption of digital currency. Now, I'm not calling it cryptocurrency because by definition, crypto means it is crypto, hidden. As long as we don't leave out the PT and tell everybody they're going full cryo, we'll leave that one for another conversation. Yeah. A couple of you got that one. Let's, yeah, let's go to round two. I'm sorry, it just occurred to me. Let's go to round two of predictions. See if we can sneak enough in. We've got about the 
12 minutes left to the show. I think we can do this. Darren Hunter, your prediction number four, it was long and detailed. I'm only going to read the first two sentences. That's probably too long. Many of the first retail transactions that are mainstream in cryptocurrency will be in the event industry, namely tickets for sporting events, concerts, Broadway shows. The underlying technology of blockchain will enable content owners, band, promoters, sports teams, leagues to own and control not only original sale, but also the secondary ticket market. This needs to be unpacked. Darren Hunter, talk to us. Yeah. So I think, you know, Brian gave the example of, I think, of going to a basketball game, but um, generally speaking, I see a lot of these transactions that we're talking about are going to be some sort of remote transaction. It's, you, there's not going to be a ticket window or anything like that. You're you're buying online from, from uh, in my case, I'm going to use the Toronto Blue Jays baseball team. Um, when I buy and sell that ticket, there, I believe moving forward, those are going to be contracts, right? And those are yeah. going to be contracts on a on a uh, on a blockchain uh, uh, network that will allow me to prove that I this is a legitimate ticket. Likewise, when that ticket, if I want to sell it to Jimmy, the 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 Toronto Blue Jays have the ability at that point in time to control whether they allow that transaction to happen or not. That secondary sale, they can say no, we're not going to do that, or they can say yeah, I'll let you do that, but I need to get twenty percent of that of the of the value of that ticket. So I think the 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 content holders will be able to manage that that transaction set a little bit more in the future. I think. Um, what that also means is that, that the method of payment for that transaction would also be a cryptocurrency. And, and, and to the professor's point of view, I think that makes sense, whether I'll call it digital currency. I like the, I like the distinction there. I think for sure there'll be a, there will be a digital transaction entirely. There won't be any sort of fiat currency exchanges or anything like that. And they'll be able to do that. The, 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 the businesses that are already jumping on this technology for the most part are sporting organizations. National Hockey League, major, major, uh, major League Soccer, the English Premiership, they're creating these, these NFTs, these non-fungible token already. And so they're already dipping their toes in that. I don't think it's a huge jump to go from what we're talking about now in NFTs and, and digital transactions to this, to this uh, contract and, these, and the use of the, uh, of the blockchain um, for contracts and things like that. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I'm moving on to a prediction from the professor. We're calling it. I finished watching season five, part one of Money Heist, La Casa de Papel. Oh, the, wow. And, and the, the lead character is named just the professor who plans the heist. So I'm honoring you with that title for oh now. So there you go. You got to watch it. It's, it's pretty violent in season five, but it's very exciting. A lot of guns, a lot of grenades, a lot of smoke flowers, throwers. Okay, here's your prediction. Number three, this is interesting. You say in eight to 12 years, the underlying technology will evolve to reduce processing costs, including power consumption, to make it meaningful to B2C transactions. And what I'd like you to talk about, Professor, is power consumption. I've heard that processing Bitcoin can use as much power as a small country's power usage in a typical day. I don't think we even understand what that means. Can you unravel that for us, please? Yeah, there is a mining that goes on in a block of transactions is mined. That's how the new currency in Bitcoin is created, right? Those who mine it, they get some reward. Now, um, uh, how many of these transactions happen in a, in a blockchain, uh, in a Bitcoin network is about 300 to 400,000 per day. That's it. And that is consuming, that tremendous amount of power is consuming. Uh, those of uh, probably if your listeners are carefully watching, 
there are close to 45 to 50 billion credit card transactions a year globally. Today, we are talking about 100 million. We're talking about burning the earth. Imagine if we had to move everything into uh, so-called uh, digital currency and mining it. It's impossible. I mean, you're going to heat up the world in no time, uh, not by one degree, several degrees more. And that's the end of uh, humanity that we know. So what we have already seen that happening is with Ripple and other things, the way you mine is being simplified, where you're not using this public network mining that is used in Bitcoin, where it's much simpler, faster, and you can scale it to several hundred thousand transactions per second. Today, you're talking about three, four transactions per second. You got to move it to 100,000 plus transactions per second so that you can be large scale to work. And that's where you start to see a lot of research is going on uh, in trying to reduce this complexity of this whole operation. Now, it has other effects though. In a Bitcoin, then what does it mean to create new coins? New uh, Bitcoins coming into the market. That is completely unresolved here. If you're trying to simplify it, then who gets the reward? In fact, every time when there is a lot of people mining, they make it harder to mine. So the reward to get for that mining is much stronger. So, And then you add the complexity of quantum computing coming in, right? Which is going to take this uh, computing power to probably 100,000 times faster. And then what happens? So there's a lot of unknown. So that's why I put the name eight to 12 years because we'll get some clarity towards how the technology is evolving in eight to 10, 12 years. Today, it's full chaos. I'm dreading on the day you get quantum computing in the marketplace. Mm, thank you. I think we need a part two topic on this one coming up soon yeah. too. We have so much to talk about. Let's see if we can squeeze in two more predictions. Brian Cedarborg, I'm looking at number three in your list. You say cryptocurrencies will continue to decentralize more currencies will come to market, making retail tender adoption more challenging. Brian, you're up. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit what's been discussed in that. I like I love the Kanana coin. That's have to look for that. And I'm, I'm, my guess is Jimmy's got a Jimmy coin. If he if he doesn't, I'm sure he's going to make one after this. So. <laughs> um, I would invest in that though. So so I mean that's that's kind of it. It's decentralized. It's um, it's cha- I mean, chaos. I mean, there's a lot of words we've used here. I, you know, I don't see until regulation comes in, uh, I don't see the chaos stopping because it, it's, yeah. it's a bit, um, you know, like any technology, there's the, you know, the whole notion, there's a famous book called kind of crossing the chasm, if you're familiar with that book, so that, you know, there's a technology adoption curve, you know, associated with any, any technology. And we're, uh, we're still on the early side of that adoption for, for, for crypto as it starts to move more and more without regulation, it's going to, uh, the chaos is going to propagate more uh, in the short term. And then the regulation is going to come and ultimately we'll start to get likely. I mean, again, we're, we're speculating, we're, we're speculating about thing that's something that's unspeculatable to some degree. Uh, but, um, but in the short term, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to get, uh, it's going to get more chaotic. Okay. And as a result, company, again, companies that are, that are making you know significant investments here to help better serve their customers, it's going to be really difficult for them to be able to meaningfully move into this space. Uh, and that, that's kind of the basis of it. 
Thank you, Brian. And I want to squeeze in one. We have got about three minutes left. I want to squeeze in prediction number three from Jimmy Kilpatrick. And Jimmy, here is your prediction. Consumer preference for environmentally friendly products and services will continue to grow and will become one of the top factors influencing customer purchase behavior, particularly for customers with greater amounts of disposable income. Jimmy, two minutes. They're all yours. Go ahead. Sure. I think this speaks to Professor Kanana's point about heating up the world. Like if I have my computer running uh, at 100% mining Bitcoins, my own room gets hot. Now I don't do that anymore uh, because it's just too inefficient. Um, the amount of carbon consumption or generation by Bitcoin mining uh, is very high. And I think that one of the things we will see with greater involvement from um, uh, whether they're private companies or governments with cryptocurrencies is a pivot away from a lot of these uh, proof of work based currencies. And I believe that consumers will also express interest in these um, currencies that are not Bitcoin. There was an article in, um, oh gosh, the New York Times, I believe recently, talking about how Bitcoin consumes as much um, uh, energy as uh, one of the three, one of the Scandinavian countries. I can't remember Denmark. which one. Denmark, that's, um, and that's, that's an astonishing statistic to hear about. And so I believe increased, you know, if that increases even further, um, people are going to say this is not really acceptable. Um, and I believe that the unraveling that Professor Kanana referred to will continue and will be supported by this. Um, I also think that there's a lot to be said about um, it, the, the comment Professor Kanana made about the difference between a digital currency and a cryptocurrency, because a cryptocurrency has a lot of, has to make sure that uh, there is no trust. There is a way to have an untrusted transaction. And a lot of that is we have to add some sort of cost, some sort of incentive and disincentive to the network. And so if we have trusted actors instead, like banks or governments, we can reduce the power consumption exponentially because we no longer have to have battles for mining blocks. We can do something different. And so this would look nothing like today's cryptocurrencies, but would have many of the, um, many of the benefits um, in terms of just easier transactions across, you know, a variety of surfaces. So uh, I believe that this this is one change we may see, especially with quantum computing potentially breaking public key infrastructure. We could maybe talk about that another time. We will talk about it another time. I want to thank my four esteemed panelists. Brian Cedarborg, thank you again so much for the topic. Really appreciate it. I'm always interested in getting topic pitches from smart people like you, Brian. So we are thanking Darren Hunter. Darren, wave goodbye. Professor Pradhudev Konana, thank you so much for your wisdom. Appreciate it. Love having an academic on the panel. You keep us all grounded. Brian Cedarborg, thank you again. Jimmy Kilpatrick and Amazon, thank you very much. And thank you to, we've got a fan club here at Rising. We've got Anka Green and we've got Cherry Meyer and we've got Mike Boyink in the gallery watching us. I want to say thank you to my engineer extraordinaire Aaron Keller at Voice America Business Channel. He was 26 when he started working with me three years ago and now he's 62. It's been a rough three years but Aaron does a good job. Yeah somebody got that and I want to say to all my panelists please wave your finger and let's wave let's wag. Come on wave your finger join me in the closing. Come on Brian you know how to do it and we're going to just say, if somebody comes to you and says, the future is already here, I want you to say, no, no, no. Everybody say it. No, no, no. No, no, no. That was, no, yesterday's, no, no. that was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're all going to do our best to make it a better one. Wave goodbye, LinkedIn. Wave goodbye, Facebook. Wave goodbye, Voice America. Bonnie D signing off. Bye-bye. Don't go away, panel. We'll debrief. Bye. 
Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.